Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to a podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday night, April 15th, 2020, people. 21. I'm a year off. Happy tax day. I hope everybody's doing well. If you, if I sounds like I have an extra pep in my step, I actually was away for most of this week. Went to Vegas, got away, laid low, hung out by the pool, hung out with some family members. It was great to get away. It is great to be back. And oh my goodness, do we have so much to talk about. Arizona, new basketball coach, Tommy Lloyd. Like the hire, I'll take you behind the scenes. What happened, why it took so long, how Arizona's administration almost screwed it up but what to make of the hire, how it went down, all that good stuff, and why I do think it's good. I'm not in love with it, but we'll talk a little bit about that. We will then transition to a kind of important topic. USC basketball, one of the FBI schools, got their sanctions on Thursday, and they basically got slapped on the wrist. Great for USC, and I wonder, is that great for an Arizona, for an Auburn, for a Louisville, for a school like that? And then finally, we will wrap the opening part of the show. I promised NFL Draft Talk, and we got a good one. Because right before the draft, the conspiracy theories are flying, and all of a sudden this article comes out, and I completely missed it in real time. But apparently people are now questioning Trevor Lawrence's will to win, which is the dumbest thing ever. We'll get into that. Take a quick break. Come back with a quick mailbag before we get out of here. Uh, Many of you are Kentucky fans. Have asked me about the point guard situation. We'll touch on that. The crazy story at the University of Hartford where the uh, school president is basically trying to shut down athletics when he asked me about that. Maybe wrap on some transfer stuff, Walker Kessler, whatever. But let's get into the topic of the day, the story of the day, because the University of Arizona has itself a new head basketball coach. It is official. Tommy Lloyd is your new head coach at Arizona. He, of course, the long, long, long time Gonzaga assistant. And it brings uh, to to finality a crazy week in which Tommy Lloyd, basically the second uh, Sean Miller was fired, was believed to be the favorite. Then he wasn't. Then he was. And then there was some Eric Musselman talk. And so let's get into all of it because it was insanity. It was a crazy week. It did show you, by the way, what I told you a week ago, that Arizona's administration is a total mess their school president wants to be the ad he almost messed this thing up but they do get their guy 
And so let's start at the beginning because I want to tell you what happened. There was some crazy stuff that happened over the last week. But like I told you, I've told you a couple episodes now, uh, Sean Miller was fired last Wednesday, so a full week before Tommy Lloyd was hired. And almost immediately after after Sean Miller was fired – Tommy Lloyd's name immediately rose to the top of kind of the, the uh, you know, projections of who was the next Arizona head coach. And as I told you on Monday's episode, that was not a coincidence. The timing of Sean Miller's firing and the, t- the timing of Tommy Lloyd becoming potentially the lead candidate at Arizona, it made too much sense. Gonzaga, they played until last Monday night, whatever it was, you know, uh, April fifth or fourth or whatever it was less than 36 hours later Sean Miller is fired uh, and immediately Tommy Lloyd whose season ended 36 hours before just so happens to be the lead candidate uh yeah total coincidence I'm sure uh no it wasn't basically Arizona I will give their administration credit for this I thought they were pretty smart about it they knew if they fired Sean Miller at the end of the season and the guy they wanted was going to go on a deep tournament run that there was a very good chance that all the players would enter the portal and by the time Tommy Lloyd got the head coaching job he would not be you know they would not basically have a team for him to coach and so the administration waited I believe all along that Tommy Lloyd was the top choice and I believe they simply like I told you on last episode made Sean Miller a well you know a well compensated babysitter to keep an eye on all of these kids and so Tommy Lloyd became the favorite. And I'm going to tell you behind the scenes that everybody thought this was open and shut, case closed, easy breezy. I was told by somebody close to Tommy Lloyd, last, so Sean Miller gets fired on Wednesday. I was told by Thursday night that, Sean, that Tommy Lloyd expected to be uh, named the head coach on Sunday. And by Monday, it would be official. He would have a press conference at Arizona. So what happened? What took so long? How did it get so crazy? Two things happened. The first thing happened, which is exactly what I told you happened on Monday's episode. A lot of the former players got mad, and I don't know that I necessarily blame them. As a little bit of a backstory, I I referenced it on last show, but we have to remember, Arizona, while we probably fairly or unfairly don't think of it as Duke or Carolina or Kentucky or Kansas, you could argue that really outside Duke that has Jay Billis and Grant Hill and guys like that, I don't think there's anybody in basketball from a college basketball perspective that has more guys in the pros and in basketball with a real say in just stuff in general than the University of Arizona. Um, Steve Kerr, maybe the most prominent voice of all NBA head coaches outside Greg Popovich. Uh, beyond him, you have Luke Walton, an NBA head coach. Richard Jefferson has a very prominent role at ESPN. Gilbert Arenas has done a great job building a media empire where he does podcasts and YouTube stuff, and he kills it. I mean, I I really admire what he has done in his post-playing career. And so when words started to leak out last week that Tommy Lloyd was going to get the job and that Damon Stoudemire and Miles Simon weren't even really being considered, a lot of these guys gave some real public pushback on that whole process. They were basically saying, look, we're not saying that Damon Stoudemire needs to be the guy or Miles Simon needs to be the guy, but the fact that you were basically giving them sham interviews so you could get your guy in and appease us is nonsense. And this wasn't just my opinion. It was proven throughout the week. First of all, I saw Gilbert Arenas had an incredible quote. Apparently, he was talking about the fact that Tommy Lloyd is an assistant coach, and Gilbert Arenas basically says, "Uh, yeah, you're an assistant. You're there to assist. You're not a head coach. So I thought that line was funny. And then Richard Jefferson came out with a statement on Thursday when it became official that Tommy Lloyd was going to be the head coach. And Richard Jefferson basically said, point blank, bottom line, look, I support you, Tommy Lloyd. I have nothing against you. I'm just mad that our guys didn't get a legitimate shot at this job 
our guys being Damon Stoudemire and Miles Simon, who I both I think both would have done a good job had they been named head coach in this particular position. So that's what happened early in the weekend. Was Arizona thinks, oh, we're just going to roll this thing out, and uh, you know, next thing you know, we're going to have a head coach by Monday, and they got real pushback. It happened behind the scenes, but it also happened very publicly. With like I said, Richard Jefferson and Gilbert Arenas being two of the most outspoken guys, and like I said, I don't necessarily disagree with them. They should have a say in the future of Arizona basketball. They never demanded anybody be hired. They just wanted their guy to be seriously considered. So that was what happened early in the weekend. Then this is what happened late in the weekend, and I, you know, we know this is true based on the timing of it. Somehow, Arizona, I believe, and I, I know this because I've talked to enough people, they believe at some point that they believe they had a real shot at Eric Musselman. Now listen, I, I, I've said it a million times, I've had Coach Muss on this podcast, I don't know what his end game, you know, what jobs he would actually leave Arkansas for, what he wouldn't, and maybe in an alternative universe, he would have seriously considered Arizona. I think Arizona's a great job. I think Arkansas is a great job. But I said it the day that Sean Miller was fired. There was 0% chance that Eric Musselman was going to be the next head coach at Arizona because of a couple things. He was owed a $5 million buyout at Arkansas before May 1st. Uh, Arizona is a school that is already paying Kevin Sumlin, their former football coach, a $5 million buyout. I had somebody else tell me that they're still paying Rich Rod a buyout, which I'm not totally sure if it's true or not. And oh, by the way, they do owe Sean Miller money because they fired him a year before his contract was out. And so you add all of those numbers up. The fact is Arizona is not a school like Texas, like Texas A&M, that has a million boosters. My understanding is that basically all the money comes from a small group of people, and they just don't have that kind of money to pay all that buyout money, then pay Eric Musselman's $5 million buyout, then pay him the four, four and a half, five that it's going to take to get him away from Arkansas. But somehow, some way, the administration still convinced themselves that they could get Eric Musselman. That dragged out the process for another day or two. Coach Muss obviously signs his extension at Arkansas. He is going to be there a very long time, making very good money, as he should, after leading the Razorbacks to the Elite Eight this year. Um, and then finally, after all of that, Thursday, we finally get our answer. Or late Wednesday, Tommy Lloyd is the next head coach at Arizona. And so with that, I think the question now becomes, how's he going to be as a coach? Um, and, I, and I think the, the, the answer is, let me, see, let me even backtrack. I saw basically universally everyone in the national media loved this hire, okay? And I think Tommy Lloyd will probably be a really good coach, but I, there are also some things that concern me as well that I haven't heard anybody else say, and I want to talk about those. But here is why I think he'll be a good head coach. Um, first of all, he is coming from, I believe, the best program in all aspects of college basketball in the country over the last decade. Now, Kentucky's had more tournament success. Obviously, Villanova and Virginia have both won. Uh, well, Villanova's won multiple national championships. If you're going by a decade, UConn has won multiple national championships, although I don't think anyone would compare them to Gonzaga right now. But when you look at what Gonzaga does, and I've talked about it on this show, I am so impressed with the totality of what they do the way that they identify players, the way that they develop them within their program. And yeah, every once in a while, you go get a superstar freshman like Zach Collins or like Jalen Suggs this year. But look at the backbone and the bread and butter of who Gonzaga is. It's guys that come to the program, in many cases, redshirt, develop internally. And in that third, fourth year, they become superstars. Too many to name, but off the top of my head, Corey Kispert's probably going to be a top 20 pick this year. Was his stock hurt maybe a little bit in the NBA, in the uh, NCAA tournament? Sure. Doesn't mean that he is not going to be a very high pick. Joel, aye, aye, 
maybe the final time I say that name on this show, I love Joel Ayayi so much. Uh, he is another guy that developed in the program, actually took a red shirt uh, as a freshman. I believe he'll be a first-round pick. Rui Hachimura basically was unplayable as a freshman. He turns into a lottery selection. And so I just bring all of that stuff up um, to very simply say that I love how they identify guys. I love how they develop them. And I love how they get them ready for the NBA where so many Gonzaga guys are now having success. So that's one. They're not a program that's built on one and done. So they have to get five-star guys. They have built their players up internally. And don't tell me Gonzaga doesn't play anybody because Corey Kispert and Jalen Suggs and Ayayi looked awesome against everybody except for Baylor this year. Two, I mean, the recruiting stuff does help. He is the international guru. I've talked a lot about it on this show, on this podcast, but he is the guy that has those connections overseas that really kind of helped Gonzaga go from nice, regional, small school, mid-major that probably gets like a six, seven, eight seed every year in the tournament to a program that now is competing for one seeds every single year. And the names are too long to list, but again, Rui Hachimura, Joel Ayayi, um... You know, uh, who's the guy? Dematis Sabonis, who's now an all-star in the NBA. Shemek Karnowski, who was the best player on a really good team that made the Final Four a few years ago. So he has those ties internationally, which I think will help. And I think it's worth noting, Arizona actually went to um, the international recruiting model over the last year or so as the NCAA sanctions were looming and nobody knew it was going to happen with the NCAA. I think the third reason I like Tommy Lloyd is we don't know what he is going to be like as a coach, which we'll talk about in a minute, but I think he had more responsibility at Gonzaga than people realize. He did something. I remember about three years ago, Gonzaga played at San Diego State, and I was sitting on press row directly behind the Gonzaga bench, and Tommy Lloyd, as the lead assistant, was calling out substitutions, calling out plays, calling out sets, and I turned to my buddy. I was like, is Tommy Lloyd doing everything that like the head coach is supposed to do right now? He goes, yeah, I think he is. And so I bring it up because it's very clear that Mark Few, like him or hate him, whatever, a lot of people don't like Mark Few because Gonzaga, whatever. Mark Few was preparing him for a moment in time where he was going to be head coach somewhere. At the time, I'm sure he assumed it would be Gonzaga, but Mark Few was preparing Tommy Lloyd to be a head coach. And so I believe he will be able to transition into that quote unquote one seat, um, you know, faster than I think people think. There are a few reasons that I think there's at least reason to be hesitant about this hire. The first one is the opposite of what I just said. This is still going to be his first head coaching job at any level. And it is a major, major, major step up to walk into, I believe, one of the best five to seven jobs in college basketball with no head coaching experience at any level. I know there's a lot of new coaches across college basketball this year, but I mean, look, Mike Woodson, as much as I criticize the hire, that guy's coached, been a head coach in the NBA. He knows what it's like to sit in that one chair. He knows what it's like to give the pre and post game speech, all the things that are required to be a head coach. Hubert Davis, say what you want about him. He was at Carolina for 10 years. He was the guy that recruited every guy on that roster, knows their strengths and weaknesses. Tommy Lloyd has none of that background, so I think there's at least reason for concern. Again, as Gilbert Arenas said, all he's ever been is an assistant, which while he's doing is assisting. So that's one. Um, two, beyond that, I am curious about some of the recruiting stuff. And let me explain why. I think it is great that he is an elite international recruiter. I think it is a great selling point. I think it's awesome. Credit to him. He found his niche and he has crushed it. Zero questions asked, zero debate on my part. He is the, the best of the best international recruiter. And there isn't even a close second right now in college basketball. If there was a close second, though, it would probably have been Jack Murphy, who was on Arizona staff last year. 
And why I bring it up is because what, what struck me is when I was reading about Arizona and their attempts to recruit overseas last year under the previous staff, and keep in mind they had five, six, seven international prospects on this year's roster, is the time commitment that it takes specifically from assistant coaches to recruit internationally. Jack Murphy, who was Arizona's assistant coach, actually flew overseas during the season sometimes to recruit players. Well, guess who you guess guess who cannot do that next year? Is Tommy Lloyd, the man with all of the connections internationally. Um, yes, he'll still be able to go to FIBA tournaments and he'll still be able to recruit internationally, but he is not going to have the feet on the ground that he normally has in the past. So that concerns me a little bit. I'll also say recruiting domestically concerns me a little bit. And I know I'll get pushback from everybody in the national media. Oh, you don't even know what you're talking about. And by the way, he was Jalen Suggs' lead recruiter. I am not going to take that away from him. But I do think it is different recruiting the caliber of player that is expected to go to Arizona um, and doing it consistently, not once every couple years. Now, maybe he's so good of a talent developer and maybe his ties are so good internationally that it doesn't matter. And oh, by the way, maybe on top of all that, the fact that he's wearing that Arizona polo, which will get you in the door with any kid on the West Coast, maybe that won't matter. But to me, it's a little bit concerning. I'm just going to tell you straight up. I know a lot of the powerful you know, AAU-type people on the West Coast. And I talked to some of them over the last week, and they're like, dude, I don't really know Tommy Lloyd. Like, he's never recruited our best players. We don't, we're not saying we like him, we don't like him, we just don't have a relationship. So I do think recruiting domestically, it's going to take building the right staff and building those relationships domestically. And again, maybe it won't matter. Maybe he is so good that there is, there is no reason for concern um, and maybe he will, you know, maybe he's so good at developing players and all that kind of stuff that it won't matter. And so to me, I'm just saying that while I think the hire is going to work, there are plenty of reasons to have a little bit of concern uh, going forward. What I would also say, though, is I do think that in the end, I want to be totally fair and I want to be totally transparent. And I think this was a good hire for Arizona. Don't know if it's an A, don't know if it's an A plus. Listen, we've all missed on good hires, bad hires, whatever. But I think the fact that you're dealing with an NCAA investigation, the fact that you're dealing with, um, you know, you had to clean house, you couldn't keep Sean Miller, um, you couldn't hire somebody off his staff, um, you know, I, I think the hire is pretty good. And the one additional thing that I would say on top of everything else is, as we all know, on Thursday afternoon, the one-time transfer rule went into, a, went into effect, excuse me. And I only bring it up to very simply say that this isn't 1992 where a new head coach needs three, four, five years to get things right. He inherits a really good team. His number one priority should be to re-recruit the players on his roster because James Akinjo, Azulis Tabellis, I think I said his name right, who's really good, Kirk Krissa, who I believe is the only player to actually enter the portal uh, outside of, uh, you know, post-Sean Miller firing. Now, Jamal Baker and Ira Lee went in early, but post-Sean Miller firing, there was only one player to enter the portal, but you have to re-recruit these guys. I think you'll have a good roster, and then you hit the portal hard. Credit Mike Woodson, that's what he's done. He's retained his players and hit the portal for a few last pieces. Tommy Lloyd needs to do the same, but in this portal world we live in, I think this was about as good as Arizona could have done. Doesn't mean it's a home run, can't miss hire like maybe a Chris Beard at Texas Tech, or if we want to date ourselves, John Calipari at Kentucky 10 years ago, Roy Williams at North Carolina 15 years ago, but I like the hire, and once you decide that you're moving on from Sean Miller, I think this was about as good as you can get. One more college hoops topic, because I do want to hit on Trevor Lawrence. I'm like super fired up about Trevor Lawrence. 
Um, I, one more college hoops topic that I do think is kind of actually a little bit relevant to the Tommy Lloyd news, and that is that if you paid close attention, this one kind of slipped through the cracks, a little lying in the weeds, a little sneaking around the ticket coop. But USC was one of the programs that was originally implicated in the FBI probe back in 2017. Like so many other programs, they've gone in front of the NCAA, and on Thursday, they got back their punishment from the NCAA. And it was essentially a slap on the wrist. Did you see this thing? USC got two years probation. They had already implemented recruiting restrictions in previous years, but no postseason ban for USC. Keep in mind that USC did not pull themselves from the postseason this year or any year like Arizona or Auburn did. And so USC, I don't want to say they got off completely scot-free, but you know, the NCAA kind of put it out there that maybe they're not going to go as hard on these schools as expected. And again, I do wonder if it's a good sign for an Arizona, for a Louisville, for an Auburn that has worked with the NCAA. Now, as a little bit of a backstory, here are some of the important details that you need to know about USC. First of all, their head co- or their assistant coach, Tony Bland, took $13,000 in bribe money. He took a plea deal that where he admitted to taking $4,000. So I don't know exactly what the NCAA can prove in terms of how much he took. Andy Enfield has argued from the beginning that the player who the money was intended for, DeAnthony Melton, never got a dime of it. Uh, and again, it, there, there is evidence to support the fact that the player didn't actually get any bit of money. But on top of that, and this is why it's important and interesting to me, USC cooperated with the NCA from the beginning. They put Tony Bland, I believe, on immediate administrative leave. Then they fired him. Tony Bland, to his credit, cooperated with the NCAA, worked with them, tried to be fair to USC. And USC did put in a few loose restrictions, like I said, recruiting other stuff back in 2017, 2018 when this all began. But I bring it up because it's very clear that USC, one out of all the schools that were involved, probably had the fewest things that they were actually found guilty of. But two, it was clear that they worked with the NCAA, and it's clear that the NCAA gave them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. No postseason ban when you haven't taken a postseason ban previously. No additional recruiting restrictions. Two years of probation, that's all you get. And so to me, I actually think this is a really good sign for a school like Arizona, Louisville, and Auburn. Remember, all three of those schools in some way or the other have complied with the NCAA in this process. You have uh, Auburn, postseason ban this year. Self-imposed postseason ban, I should mention. Louisville immediately fires Rick Pitino, immediately fires Tom Jurich, their AD. Um, Arizona fires Sean Miller, postseason ban this year. Is it enough? Does it mean that, that no one else will get hit? I don't know because it's also worth noting that, that, that those schools have also been found guilty of more than USC was five level one violations for Sean Miller and Arizona, not Sean Miller because Sean Miller was not directly found to any of them, but to Arizona, including some pretty bad academic fraud stuff, grade changing, things like that. Louisville, of course, it was their second offense following the Katina Powell uh, Strippergate. And of course, Auburn, you know, Wesley Person, I believe, Chuck Person, Chuck Person, I'm sorry. Chuck Person took a ton of money. He was clearly out of everyone involved, had his hand out the most. So I don't know what it means for those schools, but I do think that it is a good sign for them that maybe the NCAA isn't going to come down as hard as we thought. Because remember, they were supposed to come down hard on Oklahoma State last year, one-year postseason man. Oklahoma State played in the NCAA tournament. Now USC, I think it is a good sign for Kansas, maybe not Kansas because Kansas is fighting it, but for Auburn, Arizona, and Louisville specifically. 
All right, and with that, I do want to wrap on one last topic, uh, and it's, it's NFL draft related. And I told you a few episodes ago that I do want to hit on some NFL draft stuff. It's the next big topic coming up. And for people who, frankly, don't know my background, maybe you just kind of found this show in March or early April, I have a very extensive background covering college football. I worked for three or four years at FoxSports.com where I wrote and covered both college football and college basketball. I'm on Fox Sports Radio every Saturday night after that big 8 p.m. Eastern kickoff. Uh, I'm on Fox Sports Radio every Saturday all season long. And then on top of that, we talk college football all season long on this podcast, basically from mid-July until mid-January when a national champion is crowned. And so I know college football, I love college football, and I was planning on talking the NFL draft, and then out of the heavens, just it's such an absurd draft story that I can't even believe that it is a real thing, comes out of nowhere. I'm driving home from Vegas, I see this alert pop up on my phone that apparently people are now questioning whether Trevor Lawrence has a killer instinct, whether he has the will to win, uh, based on this Sports Illustrated article that came out on Thursday. So I want to talk about it, I want to get into it, but before I do, let me just, I'm going to put all the cards on the table. This is the dumbest story that I've ever seen. This is the dumbest story I've ever seen. And if you've watched even 10 seconds of Trevor Lawrence at any point in his college career, you know that it's idiotic. But as a little bit of a backstory, let's get into it. And what I want to do is I want to start by reading the direct quotes because I don't want to misquote anybody. I don't want to put anything out of context. I want you guys to have the full context. Here are the quotes from a Sports Illustrated story. This is Trevor Lawrence speaking about his career. It's hard to explain that because I want some I want people that I'm let me start over. It's hard to explain that because I want people to know that I'm passionate about what I do and it's really important to me. But I don't have this huge chip on my shoulder that everybody's out to get me and I'm trying to prove everybody wrong. Lawrence told Sports Illustrated, I just don't have that. I can't manufacture that. I don't want to. And I think people mistake that for not for being a competitor. I think that's unhealthy to a certain extent. He's talking about you know manufacturing uh, an edge to yourself, just as always thinking that you've got to prove somebody wrong, you've got to do more, you've got to do better. On top of that, Trevor Lawrence's father also said this, he's not, I want to win a Super Bowl at all costs kind of quarterback. And his high school coach actually said with who he is as a person, he could walk away from football tomorrow and be fine. So those are the quotes, those are the context, and I wanted to give it to you. And what I want to say before I start yelling and screaming again is what I always say on this show is that two things can be true at once. And my job and your job as a smart listener and consumer is to kind of piece together the difference between the stuff that matters, the stuff that doesn't, take two sides of a story and put them together to, take, to get the complete story. And so in this case, I can see that there are two sides definitively to the story. The first side is the idea that maybe you didn't watch college football, maybe you don't know much about Trevor Lawrence or that he's big, he's handsome, long hair, and you see quotes like this and you say, uh, oh my God, this guy is not, this guy doesn't want to play football. He doesn't love football. And like, if that is your opinion based on those quotes, I'm actually not that mad. And I actually don't blame you because if you haven't watched college football or follow this stuff, um, you know, I could understand where you would feel like, okay, that kind of would worry me if I was a Jags fan. But on the flip side, there's the other side. And this is where the context matters. You can look at those quotes and be worried, but you know what I'm going to look at instead three years at Clemson and really five or six years as a quarterback dating back to high school. And what I could tell you is this, any narrative that Trevor Lawrence does not care about football is not tough, is not passionate, is just plain idiotic. Okay. And so what I'm going to do 
is take my opinion out of this and just strictly just look at the facts of what we know about Trevor Lawrence. First of all, in terms of the whole, like, I don't have a chip on my shoulder, it's like, yeah, you know why he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder? It's because he's awesome. And he's been universally believed to be awesome basically since the second that he started playing football, okay? He was the number one player in high school. He was the number one player uh, both his junior and senior year. He gets to Clemson. He immediately beats out Kelly Bryant four games into the season as the team's starting quarterback. Kelly Bryant had just made the playoff the year before. And then he basically balls out for three straight years. So, of course, he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. Of course, he can't manufacture everything because we all agree he's awesome. It's like, you know... It's one thing to have a chip on your shoulder when you're Baker Mayfield and you're five foot ten. It's one thing when you're Kyler Murray and nobody believes in you because you're tiny and you played baseball your whole life and we thought you were going to play baseball until about ten minutes ago. We decided that Trevor Lawrence was going to be the number one pick in the 2021 NFL Draft before he even got to Clemson and didn't do anything wrong. So that's one. I don't buy this. He doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. That's a bad thing. He doesn't have a chip on his shoulder because there's never been a reason to doubt him. So why is he going to start making stuff up that we don't believe in him when everybody knows that everybody believes in Trevor Lawrence? That's one. Two, I do think the facts on the field matter, okay? This was a guy that went 34-2 and as a starter at Clemson. I don't care how physically gifted you are. I don't care how bad the ACC is in any given year. You do not go 34-2 and as a starter if you are not great and you don't love to compete and you do not care about football. On top of that, think about who the two losses were to over the course of his career. The first one was to LSU. Uh, in 2019, which might go down as the greatest team in the history of college football, 14 overall draft picks off that team, including five first-rounders. And the second one came in this year's playoff when, oh, by the way, his defense gave up 49 points. How can you blame Trevor Lawrence for losing to Ohio State when he throws for 400 yards and his defense gives up 49 points? He doesn't love football because those are the two losses on his resume. And even if you think that that should matter, even if you think that it proves that he doesn't whatever, here's who he beat. And here's who he beat for anybody that's going to say, well, he didn't play anybody in the ACC. I can't sit here and say playing in the ACC is like playing in the SEC. I don't even know if it's like playing in the Big Ten where I do think there's three, four, five legitimately good programs. But here's who he beat in, in his career in college football. As a freshman, he beat Notre Dame and he beat Alabama in the playoff. Pretty good. Brian Kelly, Nick Saban. Uh, year two, he played Ohio State, which we're going to get into in a minute in the college football playoff, beat them in one of the most physical, rugged, tough, nasty games that I can ever remember watching in the history of college football. Ever, 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 ever. It was one of the most physical games that I've ever seen. Trevor Lawrence got killed in that game um, and still came back uh, and led Clemson to a victory before they eventually lost to LSU. On top of that, this year, how about the fact that, oh, he doesn't care, but his team loses to Notre Dame early in the season, then he comes back, and they completely rout Notre Dame late, okay? So do not tell me, not to mention two wins against Texas A&M in the regular season, so do not tell me that this guy does not care about football because the results don't reflect it. You can't go 34-2 and with a win over Alabama, with two wins over Notre Dame, with a win over Ohio State, if you do not care about football. Three, it's what I just said. Go back and watch the games. That Ohio State game two years ago in the college football playoff, as I said a minute ago, was one of the most physical games that I've ever seen. That is the game where Trevor Lawrence got basically almost decapitated at midfield. Sean Wade gets ejected for targeting. Was it targeting? Was it not? Trevor Lawrence got killed in that game, okay? And on top of that, when Ohio State, which had four, uh, four, uh, four 
NFL defensive backs in that game. Three of them got drafted last year. One Sean Wade will get drafted this year. On top of that, here's what you need to know about Trevor Lawrence. He rushed for 107 yards in that game. Go back and watch the tape. Just pull up the highlights on YouTube. Go pull up the highlights. He got killed in that game and kept fighting, led his team to victory before losing to LSU. And it was the same this year against Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl. Yes, they lost. Go back and watch that tape. He was getting murdered in the pocket. Kept picking himself up. So do not tell me this guy doesn't care. And then finally, most importantly, and this was my argument the other day, by the way, when the Justin Fields story broke with Dan Orlovsky claiming that Justin Fields is a, a last guy to show up, first guy to leave. We don't have any proof that that's true. And I, I like Orlovsky. He's a UConn guy. But when you look at Justin Fields, think about what ju if Justin Fields didn't care about football. Think about what he did last August when there was no when we thought there was not going to be college football. Him and Trevor Lawrence were fighting harder than anybody to get college football on the field. And so to me, this idea that Trevor Lawrence doesn't care about football, uh, bruh, go back and look at July and September, July and August. If Trevor Lawrence doesn't send out the tweets that he does, if he doesn't say hashtag we want to play, I don't think the season gets played. I think that was the first time that the players had a voice and the players actually said, stop speaking for us. We want to play. We believe our coaches can do this safely. And so if Trevor Lawrence didn't want to play, if he didn't love football, you know what he would have done? He would have opted out. Trevor Lawrence could have played zero snaps this year and still been the number one pick. He probably had the least incentive to play college football this year out of anybody. And he still did it. And so this idea that Trevor Lawrence doesn't care about football or he's soft, it is just the dumbest thing that I have ever heard. I can't believe that it is really a topic. And look, does he have ambition off the field? Yes, he does. But guess who else does? LeBron James does. Kyrie Irving does. Kevin Durant does. Uh, Tom Brady does. Russell Wilson does. Um, whoever. Aaron Rodgers is hosting Jeopardy right now. You mean to tell me he doesn't care about stuff off the field? So don't tell me that Trevor Lawrence is soft. Don't tell me that he doesn't care. That is the single dumbest narrative I've ever heard. All right, this is what we're going to do. Uh, that segment was awesome, by the way. I'm all, like, fired up. Just came back from Vegas, sweating out the booze. I feel great, baby. But I think that's going to be it for this segment. What I want to do is come back to a very quick mailbag. You guys can send me questions, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. I got about three or four that I want to get to. Um, and we'll just hit on them real quick. Um, back to college basketball, Walker Kessler committed to Auburn. What does that mean? Kentucky is looking for a point guard. Um, and I think we will hit on a few other things, including that University of Hartford topic as well. I'm going to take a quick break. I will be right back. All right, everybody, uh, I am back. And what I wanted to do now was just get to a couple kind of smaller topics that didn't really have a place on today's show um, that you guys want to talk about, right? And, and for people who are new to the show or whatever, one, you can always get me at, on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Shoot me a DM. Send me a tweet. Uh, if it's a good question, I'll bring it up on this show. Uh, also, uh, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And so what I want to do is take a few minutes and just get to a few topics that I haven't had a chance to hit on of late. Uh, Kentucky is in pursuit of a point guard. So many of you are Kentucky fans. Uh, in addition to that, we will also get to Walker Kessler's commitment. And finally, I don't know if you saw this story, the University of Hartford, uh, my near and dear right down the road from where I am. They are in the middle of this major, major, major 
I don't know if you want to call it a scandal, but basically the entire athletic department is about to be, the, 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 the school president is trying to shut down the entire athletic department. And so let me kind of get to some of these questions. The first one actually came via text. A very select few of you um, do have my, 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 my cell phone. And so shout out to JC in Seattle who hit me up early this morning and basically said, Torres, what do you make of John Calipari suddenly offering a bunch of point guards? Do you think he's scrambling at all? That's JC from Seattle, big Kentucky fan, loves the show, listens every week. And so what I want to do is I kind of want to hit on some of this Kentucky stuff because I've talked a lot about the Arkansas transfer stuff. I've talked about, um, you know, Tennessee picking up Justin Powell. I did talk a little bit with Kentucky with Kellen Grady. But the one thing that Kentucky, I believe, is really missing, everybody believes, not just me is missing is a point guard for next season, a guy that's a playmaker that can get other shots, that can beat people off the dribble. And I think if they get that guy, I believe that they are like, I think they're back. Like, And I know it's like, oh, Torres, he's overhyping Kentucky, but Kellen Grady is a stud on the perimeter. Oscar Shibwe is a stud down low. Damian Collins is an elite rim protector. But you need one guy that can beat people, that can create his own offense, that can create offense for others. And so Calipari's been in kind of a, you know, I don't know if scramble mode is the right word, but he's basically gone ahead and tried to find, you know, three, four, five guys and basically try to figure out who's going to be his point guard for next year because the guys on the roster aren't going to get it done. Devin Askew decided to transfer. He is now at Texas. Uh, and we've seen all sorts of stuff. So one, Calipari offered a, a high school star named Ty Ty Washington, who's basically being recruited by everybody. Uh, he has at least reached out. I don't know if he's officially offered Rocket Watts a guard at Michigan State. Uh, as of Thursday night when I'm recording, there appears to be interest with Davion Harmon, the Oklahoma point guard who just entered the portal on Thursday morning. And then finally, Marcus Carr from Minnesota is a name that is getting bandied about an awful lot. So let's just get into it. Let me just break it down very simply for you. First of all, Rocket Watts isn't the answer. I'm a Rocket Watts believer. I really do like Rocket Watts as a player. But if you watch college basketball as much as I do, and I know many of you do, Rocket Watts was great his freshman season at Michigan State playing off of the ball with Cassius Winston. This year, Tom Izzo tried to turn him into a point guard, and it just didn't work. And Tom Izzo basically said as much as soon as the season ended when Rocket Watts decided to transfer. He just said, like, dude, we tried to make it work. It was a weird year. It wasn't a role that he wanted to be in. We had to go in a different direction, and they did. So to me, if you want to bring in Rocket Watts as like your sixth man, score off the bench, whatever, kind of like a role that, um, you know, uh, Davion Mintz had this year for Kentucky, I have no problem with that. But he is not a point guard, so that would not be my answer. Marcus Carr, I'm not going to hit on very much because I know so many Kentucky media have talked a ton about him. Um and what I would say very simply is this, is that, uh, you know, I believe he's the best player in the portal in terms of a guy that can have instant impact next year. But my bigger concern is he seems very intent as a guy who's already been in college for five years on playing out the NBA draft process. Do I think he'll be drafted? I don't know. Do I think that means that he'll necessarily come back to college? I don't know. I don't even think he knows at this point what his real options are. And so because of it, I would just say right now, I would, I would assume Marcus Carr is off the table, and I think Calipari is moving as such in a way that he doesn't believe Marcus Carr will be his point guard. Then they offer the two kids, one Ty Ty Washington, point guard out of, out of uh, uh, Phoenix, who was originally committed to Creighton, decommitted when all the Greg McDermott stuff popped up, and Davion Harmon is the latest that Kentucky has at least reached out to that they will be speaking to on Tuesday on Thursday night. What I would say is, of the two guys, listen, I, I'm just going to say it. 
I would go with Davion Harmon. If I had a choice, if Davion Harmon was interested, that would be the guy that I want because of the fact that he has been in college for two years. He's not great. He's not elite, but he has played at a really high level. He knows how to play college basketball, and I believe that he can step in right away and be a really good point guard for Kentucky next year, especially with the pieces that will be around him, Kellen Grady, Oscar Shibway, uh, Damian Collins, Dante Allen, all of the guys I have mentioned. I am just telling you flat out, straight up, it would be the most talented roster that he has ever played on. And I think while he's not like a, a super elite John Wall type point guard, uh, I, I think he'd be really good there. I would also say on, on this as well, the kid Marcus Williams who uh, went into the portal from Wyoming, if I was John Calipari, that would actually be my number one target, okay? I don't think John Calipari will do it because I don't know how excited John Calipari will be to bring in a guy that's played one year of college basketball at Wyoming when you have guys who have been proving to do it at the college level. But Marcus Williams, go watch the tape on YouTube. Very creative playmaker, guard, off the dribble. Um, he's really, really, really good in that role. He's great at creating for others. He's great at creating his own offense. He averaged almost 15 points and five assists as a true freshman in a good conference this year. Keep in mind, Wyoming played the Mountain West. Mountain West had two NCAA tournament teams, Utah State and San Diego State. Colorado State was one of the first teams out of the NCAA tournament this year. I really like Marcus Williams. I don't know if John Calipari is going to go after him. That'd be the guy that I call, though, and that would be the guy that I keep calling until he says yes. Finally, the last guy that I would say very quickly, Ty Ty Washington. I think he's definitely possible. Uh, you know, I'm reading all the hype articles that always come out about all these freshmen, and I respect the hell out of what my guy Jack Pilgrim does. He's been on this podcast. I think Jack is the best guy on the beat uh, at Kentucky. I also saw my buddy Kyle Tucker, who has, has me blocked on Twitter, wrote something as well. What I am just saying is you, you will have a veteran team around that point guard next year. Oscar Shibway, third year in college basketball. Kellen Grady, fifth year in college basketball. On and on and on. I don't know that another freshman point guard that isn't the elite of the elite is the answer. I know there's a possibility that he could be, um, you know, a five-star by the end of this cycle and all that stuff. All I'm saying is we've seen it. If it ain't John Wall, if it ain't De'Aaron Fox, it ain't the same this kid, I would say the closest comp would be Brandon Knight. Now, Brandon Knight was good for Kentucky. I would go with the veteran college player, though. This is the portal world that we live in. Everybody else is getting old, and you're going to put a freshman on the court against Alabama with a bunch of grown men, Arkansas with a bunch of grown men, um, you know, Auburn, which we'll get to in a minute. I don't know that I love that. That's just me. It feels as though Calipari is more interested in Ty Ty Washington, the freshman, but that is what I would do. And at some point, Kentucky is going to get a point guard, by the way, and I will talk about it on this show. Second question, it comes from Michael in Alabama. Aaron, love the podcast. Know you've talked a ton of transfers. What do you make of Walker Kessler committing to Auburn, and what impact will he have? Again, Michael in Alabama, thank you for chiming in. I'll just say straight up, I don't really get this. I really don't. You know, Walker Kessler was at North Carolina last year. Roy Williams retires. Dayron Sharp goes pro. Garrison Brooks leaves. There was plenty of playing time to be had. And when you leave, you have opportunities to go to a place like Gonzaga, which is just so great with floor spacing and ball movement. And you go to Auburn. And look, I love Bruce Pearl. Bruce Pearl's my guy. He's been on this podcast. But what I'm just saying is, one, we don't know what's coming down from the NCAA. Obviously, we talked about it earlier in the show. Good sign, the possibility 
of of uh, you know of something there. But on the flip side, man, I'm just telling you, like you look at who Auburn is going to have next year. Sharif Cooper's gone. Justin Powell's gone. They did get a commitment from a a transfer point guard named Wendell Green, who I think will be good. But is he ready to jump from the mid major level to the SEC level and compete next year right away? I do not know. And so because of it, I'm just saying if I was Walker Kessler, you got a t- you could go anywhere. He could have gone to Tennessee and played with Justin Powell. He could have gone to Gonzaga. He could have gone to Kentucky. I don't I don't really get the Auburn thing. And if that makes me a bad guy, it makes me a bad guy. But I don't know who you're going to play with. I don't know about what if you're going to play in the NCAA tournament. Maybe the guy just wants to get his numbers and get out of college. I don't know. And I will say Bruce Pearl obviously lets his big men play, space the floor, do that whole thing. Credit Bruce Pearl. Shout out Bruce Pearl. This is a great recruiting win. But I just don't really get it. Finally, um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but this came from Jared in, in Connecticut. He said, did you see the University of Hartford basketball story? And so this is really like one of the craziest things that I can ever remember seeing. And so as a little bit of a backstory, let me just say this. I'm from Connecticut, grew up in the Hartford suburbs, uh, and the University of Hartford, it's about 10 minutes from where I grew up. They just made their first NCAA tournament this year. I could literally walk to the campus from the house that I grew up in. And even after their first NCAA tournament bid, you know what's going on behind the scenes? The school president is trying to cancel athletics. Not literally, but metaphorically. He's basically trying to say, we need to move down to D3 from D1. We need to save scholarships. Keep in mind, this is coming off of the greatest run in the in the basketball program's history. And this uh, school administrator is trying to cancel athletics, go them down to D3, which is non-scholarship. But here is the crazy part. Earlier this week, there were leaked emails that came out that basically said that he is trying to sway influential professors on the campus to get to, to take his side publicly to, to get rid of college sports. Uh, this is an email that he sent to a professor named Professor Goldstein. He said, use your voice, write an editorial, get Senate and other FAR groups to pre- pass resolutions or write letters to the current in support of the move. Professor Goldstein said, I thank you for this wonderful response, Greg. I don't know how much organizing I can do, but I will definitely write something, hopefully, for the current. The Hartford Current is the biggest paper in Connecticut. This is what President Woodward said. Warren, it's best if you speak to the mission of the university and the disconnect that has grown over the years between D1 Sports and the university mission. Be a faculty member with smart opinions on a more equitable experience for all your students, wellness, health, etc. It will be part of a puzzle that needs to be said, and you can let me and the spin doctors do the numbers. What? My goodness, can you believe this? This school president is basically trying to get uh, his professors to pretend as though they are speaking independently about canceling college sports, moving University of Hartford down from D1 to D3 to save money on scholarships. What is this guy doing? Does do do no, Listen, I understand there's a disconnect between academics and athletics at a university. And I understand where if you're a tweed jacket wearing kind of guy, a tweed elbow patches kind of guy, I could understand where you would be frustrated how much attention, time, money, resources that college athletics gets on a college campus. First of all, I can tell you definitively, University of Hartford is not like that. Um, two, uh, you know, sports matter there, but it's not like a be-all, end-all. Two, I'll also say this. University of Hartford ain't going to turn into Harvard if they cancel the, if they put the D, you know the, the athletics program from D1 to D3. That ain't going to happen. I've been to University of Hartford. I part I, you know I've been to a few parties there maybe when I shouldn't have been. I'm just telling you. 
it's a bunch. If I'm being perfectly honest, it's a bunch of very wealthy kids uh, from New Jersey, Connecticut, Long Island, New York, that are basically just there to have a good time. It's not going to turn into Harvard if if you decide if you move the baseball team from D1 to D3. And let's be honest. The best, if you do want to raise the academic standards, if you do want to elevate the entire university, the best thing you can do, you know what it is? Have a great athletic department. We have seen this time after time after time after time. University of Alabama, it is a completely different school since they won, uh, since Nick Saban got there as their football coach. Um, UConn, my alma mater, they got billions in state funding after the school won its first national championships in men's men's and women's basketball because the state taxpayers were willing to pay because they were so proud of the university, which raised admissions, which is, by the way, I hate to say it, didn't get in the first time I applied, had to go as a transfer my second year. But I bring it up because it's helped UConn. Athletics has helped North Carolina, Virginia, Michigan, UCLA, on and on. It's the best advertisement you can possibly have. I guarantee, go back and look. Baylor, a year from now, it's going to be the highest enrollment, that their highest uh, applications that they've ever had. Gonzaga, the school almost shut down until they went to the Elite Eight in 1999. Completely new campus since then. So this is the dumbest story going. Uh, shout out to President Greg Woodward of, of the University of Hartford, by the way. We do have some listeners in Connecticut. If any of you guys have any further information, email me, Aaron Torres, podcastquestions at gmail.com. Email me, uh, Twitter, whatever. And if you have any contact with this uh, President, President Woodward, I would love to have him on the podcast. I would love to have him on the podcast to talk about this, to talk it out rationally, out of respect to him, out of respect to the school. I will give him the platform of this podcast. It's clear where I stand, but I want to give him his say as well. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Podcast. Not bad, huh? Right off of vacation, just ripped out 45 minutes like it was nothing. That's what I do. But before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Let us uh, follow us on Instagram at Aaron Torres Pod, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Uh, and find the YouTube channel. YouTube channel is blowing up. I appreciate your guys' support. Uh, but that is all for today's show. Fun show, busy show, long show. Shout out Trevor Lawrence. Shout out Tommy Lloyd. Oh, also, shout out Torrent Craig. Shout out Who Rachel Who Hates My Voice. I will be back on Monday, and I appreciate your guys' support. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.